T.E. Lawrence, eponymously of Arabia, but very much an Englishman, favored pinching a burning match between his fingers to put it out. When asked by his colleague, William Potter, to reveal his trick, how is it he so effectively extinguished the flame without hurting himself whatsoever, Lawrence just smiled and said, the trick, Potter, is not minding it hurts. <laughs> the fire that danced at the end of that match was a gift from the Titan Prometheus, a gift that he stole from the gods who were terrified of what we might do with it were it to fall into our hairy little paws. Hello, and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven, I'm doing a David, scientifically proven greatest performance, your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick Gremian, and uh, was fire the first true piece of technology? Mm, some would say. Welcome to The Academy. Welcome to uh, Scott Scott Origins Part 2. And we're covering a movie. We've we've alluded to this movie often throughout oh, yeah. the uh, throughout the show. And I was like, kind of like laughing. It's like how the this is like the, our franchise that we cover on this show. Like, yeah, this is... it is weaved into so many different seasons, and it shows how interesting this franchise is comparably to most. I think <laughs> you know we've talked about our love of um of taking like. A pre-existing like idea ip i guess if you will but then letting a cool director just mm. like mold it to their sensibilities and how that should be the only way these ip movies are done if you ask me that's the only way they make that they're interesting to me a hundred percent like yeah like yeah not having a house style necessarily letting you know, letting Tim Burton run Rams uh, run wild with Batman, yeah. letting like uh, you know the the first four Mission Impossible's where they got like very interesting mm-hmm. auteur level directors to kind of do their interpretation of it. Yeah, I agree, and I think like yeah, like I'm the house style gets kind of old, but and obviously like you can run into you will have a flop at some point. Oh, for sure. If by doing it in this method that we are preaching. But you also might have like an all timer, like aliens or something like that. Oh, like, for sure. I mean, this does go all the way back to James Cameron deciding I'm going to do a rock'em sock'em space cowboy action picture off of Ridley Scott's somber downbeat horror movie, monster movie that he did. Like, yeah. and it completely and utterly working. Like, <laughs> it totally yeah like in i mean even like the the delightful failures like you know the joel schumacher batmans those have like the fact that there's mm-hmm. like a like a character and like um it doesn't feel like you're watching like 
extended uh, TV. It doesn't feel like you're yeah. watching just an episode of something. Like, and that that yeah, you want you even want that like, yeah, personal even the touch. Joel Schumacher ones or like the Zack Snyder style that he brought to the DC movies, or even um, David Fincher's Alien Three. Mm. Like, like it was interesting. Even like you brought a Mission Impossible. Like Mission Impossible Three is the TVification because it's J.J. Abrams of the Mission Impossible series. But if they had, like, followed that up with, like, having, like, you know, they talked about Joe Carnahan or somebody like that, like, it would have been weird. Yeah. You know, (laughs) or, like, the guy, what's Craig Brewer, who did uh, Dolomite Is My Name or um, Hustle and Flow, if he had done one. Like, I think he was named as a possibility as well at that time period. And, you know, because he was coming off of Hustle and Flow and, oh, my Mm -hmm. gosh. I've got this like, you know, on your desks where you have the like um, the hole where you can shove cords through to get down. Oh, yeah. The the baby has come up with all of her goldfish crackers and it's just decided that is a receptacle for them. So I'm going to need to like have this like go on there and like find all the food that she has ditched in there. Oh, no. (laughs) Make sure nothing rots. Yeah, goldfish uh, cackers pretty um they don't rot too much i don't think uh, yeah point. she's also has a cucumber over here and i'm worried pieces of Ooh. cucumber are in there and that will rot that will rot folks yeah yeah cucumber yeah. folks it rots you know what doesn't rot the the dead bodies of engineers mm. Mm. something to think about let's that get we'll get into it that is a segue we're of course talking about 2012's prometheus today and uh one thing um very divisive, still very talked about movie, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Um, one of what are you really, Scott's recent films have really like probably will stand as a movie that at least nerds continue to come back to. Oh, for sure. And it has like, I think this movie 100% has its uh appreciators. Maybe we're mm. both on that side. Who knows? We'll find yeah. out. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, uh, but it's yeah. It's a device. It's a it's a divisive film. But uh, mm. but it's also a film that like I remember when the trailer came out for it. Like everyone I knew was pumped. This oh, was uh, everybody. Yeah. Everybody. This was this was the this. So this was released June eighth of twenty twelve in the United States. This was the summer movie for the true heads in 2012 it was at least one of them i don't remember what else came out in 2012 but i know that like you know i saw it at the pacific science center in seattle imax dome in 3d we bought our Mm -hmm. tickets ahead of time it was uh it was quite a quite a night like to a birthday party afterwards and i remember things got a little out of hand interesting evening but i'll never forget that prometheus because showing up at that birthday party we just saw prometheus and i it was the talk of the talk of the party that we swung swung that too but uh yeah very divisive i remember even going to work following monday and like having a talk with one of the partners at the law firm because they had gone to see it and they did not like it and like <laughs> kind of going through kind of our feelings on the movie and i remember i had mixed feelings because mm-hmm. it's a um Interesting movie because it like it's so provocative and so like there's so many levels to it, but it also the question is, are there levels to this movie? And is it does it give you anything of what you want? Mm, like at the same yeah. simultaneously, it's like, what did you want out of this movie? And maybe we can break down 
what we wanted out of this movie in this conversation. <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, and it, I think like the toughest thing about this movie is that it really, um, the marketing and the director and the aesthetic, I think, it, you know. Yeah, I mean, you were talking about the trailer. And yeah. We teased a little bit of the marketing in the cold open here. Like, it really got you pumped. Like, it, it was really, like, oh, this is going to sure. be like a new sci-fi masterpiece. Mm-hmm. That was all, well, it, we would accept absolutely nothing less, really. <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, and then also, like, there was just, um, there was, like, a lot of crazy viral marketing involved with it. Like, they had, like, a, a, a TED Talk that was released on YouTube, mm-hmm. a fake TED so And they were, you want... like, ads for Verizon, like, introducing the David as well. Oh, yes, you know, man. Was, like, the, it was really smart, cool, like, kind of, like, marketing. But at the same time, like, it also reflects this movie, which is, like... Uh, they're going to continue to play tricks. Like, what is this? Rather mm. than just like telling us like, oh, it's an alien movie. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. See, that's the thing is this movie, like it is like it never, you never, you know, you see, hear like you, you don't hear about the aliens. They refuse to show that aspect in like the trailers. Like you don't mm. see like the, and you know, it's just, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, we were until the second, I, I don't know if we had read reviews or not. I don't remember, but I do remember like, walking into the theater talking to my buddy like is this gonna be an alien movie we didn't know when we were no. sitting down to watch this movie even yeah even though like yeah it's like it's it, there's clear like you know wayland wayland yutani like there's all these like you know illusions yeah but but it doesn't like yeah it never does it never like flat out states like that it is part of that world and it you know takes some time to it takes some time to get there yeah and yeah, you know, it's interesting because like we were texting a little bit about this last night. Like, you know, really Scott is known as like this like esteemed quote unquote sci-fi director. Mm-hmm. But at this point in the year like post Robin Hood, 2010, 2009 era, he actually hadn't made a sci-fi or a fantasy movie yeah. since 1985's Legend. So it had been like 30 years. And <laughs> It's really interesting that he had kind of, and I, I, I think this goes back to my theory that he got spooked by Legend and Blade Runner from like those big genre swings, and he was trying to like, I'm gonna stay grounded, mate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> has to be real. But it was interesting reading in the um, Ian Nathan book. Um, mm. Kind of the big impetus to this was, uh, yeah, around this time our. Our beloved James Cameron was in the depths of shooting Avatar. Mm. And James Cameron was inviting filmmaker friends to the set of Avatar to basically show off all of his like, like James Franco and Spring Breakers, check out all my shit. Yeah, he's like, he's always like, you know, he's Cameron Toro dropped in among others, but Really Scott was invited to the set of Avatar and really Scott, like everyone else who seems to have been invited to the set of Avatar was like, it's awesome. Like, this is wild, dude. Like, yeah, I can't he, believe he, like what I don't even get what you're you know, I mean, you, and you heard it from every one of them, like Peter Jackson, Guillermo del Toro, really, they all like came out of there like Spielberg. Like they're like, whoa. 
I don't know yeah. what you're got going on, but this seems to be quite quite a big thing. I don't know what you're freaking smoking, but I want to I want to hit oh, that. Yeah, I uh, yeah. Bring it on, baby. <laughs> I will take I will toke. Um <laughs> and so but this got the ball rolling in really Scott's head like, "Oh, man, like I want to like if this is going on in sci-fi, mm-hmm. I want to maybe get a piece." Also simultaneously, he's thinking back on, you know, alien just in general. And from what I understand, um, so was James Cameron. They were both, it was both on their minds. It was mm-hmm. on 20th Century Fox's mind. They had not made an alien movie since Resurrection when they started off. Oh, and yeah. basically they came to Cameron first to like, what would you be interested in? He's like, I'd be interested. But then they were like, yeah, we're going to do a mashup. And it's going to be this alien versus predator thing. To which, because he's ever wise, James Cameron was like, he his quote is, it will kill the validity of the franchise if you mm. do this Alien versus Predator movie. That's why we don't even talk about those movies. It does feel like we just jump from Resurrection to Prometheus. Oh, for sure. Well, it, and it's all, and they're doing it right now because they're making a movie yeah. and they're doing a TV show, and it's confusing now. To oh, me, ins- I don't know ins- what, I don't know what is the actual thing. Mm-hmm. I know it didn't make as much money. Let Ridley make a third. Let's say it now. Let's just like get it off yes. the table. We don't even need to get to Covenant, our Covenant episode. Let him make a third one. Let yeah. him finish this thing up. Or better yet, let him make that Prometheus too. Like, don't let him be encumbered by all the alien. I like, know. don't get me wrong, I love that and slimy think, little like, guy, but yeah, you know, Fidi Alvarez, who's directing the new one, mm-hmm. I'm excited because he he's got a nasty spirit. He's gonna come at it from a horror movie. Yeah, he's a perspective. mean director in a good way. Yeah, in a good way. Yes, his I movie, like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, his movies his, are very dark. His Evil Dead remake, the Don't Breathe movie, like. Mm-hmm. He makes rough stuff. Yeah. Bring it on. Like, let's see it. But uh, I think Noah Hawley is doing the um, TV show. Oh, who does, the Fargo, you know, Fargo and Legion. He's a very interesting guy. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's just, I, I have a feeling he's going to branch off into his completely his own story, which I guess is fine. But now it's confusing to me. Now I get like, I don't know. I yeah. like, the, I kind of like the like continuity. Mm-hmm. That we get out of all these, like the it's not perfect continuity, but I do like the continuity. It feels like everything, yeah, everything from Prometheus to Alien Resurrection, in theory, like it feels like it's a kind of a shared world to a certain degree. It feels like it's a big story mm-hmm. at the very, you know, and I kind of dig that. But Cameron was right, Alien vs Predator is going to make it dopey and just going to make it a thing, whereas like. Even regardless of what you think of the Fincher one, regardless of what you think of Jean Pierre Genot's, mm-hmm. those four movies do have kind of like a, like we talked about, a higher end cachet. You like believe that they're like a little more special. They're not just like they're not Halloween masks. Yeah, I know. They're, yeah, that's, that's like the Halloween maskification more... of the of the films or the AVPs to them. And um, yeah, so Cameron who really did understood the value 
of the series, he's like, I'm not going to have any part mm -hmm. of this. But by May of 2009, um, you know, Fox was pushing forward and they wanted Ridley Scott involved. Ridley Scott said he would produce and develop it, but he wanted the television ad man, Carl Eric Rinch, as the director, which Fox was like, no, <laughs> we want you. It's you or nobody. Yeah. He's basically the thought process on this. It's like they've already given the keys to the car to like kind of no names with the AVP, and those didn't really yield the best results. Yeah, yeah, and it watered it down. It watered yeah, it down for sure. And as you know, as Cameron astutely said, uh, Carl Wrench went on to direct Forty Seven Ronin with Keanu Reeves. It is his one theatrical film to date. I probably Tough. Carl is working in. You know, probably doing a fine job, yeah, and, make, and making a wonderful living. Probably has a great house in like Santa Monica or something, off oh, of his for sure. television ad man stuff. Yeah. Uh, but he has not directed film since. And Ridley, basically, like he had, a, he didn't know it, but by July of two thousand nine, he brought in. So John Spates, he's a screenwriter. Uh, you'll see his name later this fall. He's a co-writer on Dune Two. Mm -hmm. He has continued to work extensively in Hollywood, but his, he wrote a screenplay in the early, like late, late aughts. Is that what it's called? The aughts? Yeah. Okay. The, the, the first, yeah. 2000 the aughts. Yeah. Won the blacklist, which is for those who don't know, it's like a big, um, it's like the biggest screenwriting. Uh, it's this website where you can post your script. Right. They do a yearly review of all the scripts that have been posted. It, before it was a website, this is before it was a website. It was just kind of like within the world of Hollywood. It's been more democratized now, some would say, but some really wouldn't because most of those people who win the blacklist still have representation. They're not just randos. Um, he wrote a script called Passengers that oh. was won the blacklist was the number one thing and it was this you know high concept sci-fi script mm -hmm. so it got in meetings all over town before it eventually got made in 2016 by morton tilden in a movie starring jennifer lawrence and chris pratt not a great movie yeah regardless i don't know like i saw it didn't love it it was a bummer uh, yeah that movie i remember that movie yeah. i didn't yeah i don't know life happens yeah. Shrug your shoulders. Like it was yeah. a weird movie. It was a very strange one. <laughs> like the guy got a little too lonely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh anyway. <laughs> but he's gone on to be a writer on Doctor Strange. He wrote for the ill-fated Tom Cruise mummy movie. Oh, and man. but now he's uh knee deep in the Dune franchise, and that seems to be where he's home. All these guys seem to this seem to be all their dream. It's just to end up writing Dune movies, like the true sci-fi heads. This is this is all they ever wanted was to write for Dune. Oh, like, for sure. You know, you know that Michael Green is fuming that he yeah. wasn't able to write Dune. Yeah, Dune. Everybody wanted, but uh, so Spades Dune. had written this Passengers, and so it got him meetings all over town, including mm -hmm. one with Ridley Scott. And it was kind of one of those water meetings, the meet and greet kind of deals, where they just mm -hmm. kind of chatted. But then at the end. Scott was like, "Hey, if you ever, you ever think about what you would do if you, you wrote an alien movie?" And mm -hmm. Spates like pitched him hard, 
and quick and impressed him. And he's like, why don't you write something? So what basically what Spates did is that uh, came back with a 20 page outline within three and a half weeks of that had completed his first draft and submitted it by Christmas day of 20, 2009, 12 wow. hours later on Christmas day, Ooh. Ridley Scott returned with notes. He's like, you know, <laughs> and our boys spent the Christmas holiday breaking this alien prequel idea. <laughs> Just wheeling and dealing. Uh, Spates kind of took it upon himself, like everything from the alien, the first four alien movies that was unexplained or kind of their details, he wanted to put into this draft. Mm-hmm. They built and built and built all of these ideas. The engineers, all of the characters that are in this final movie, are all in this script. However, though, it was completed, ready for filling. But right around this time, of course, television sensation Lost is on Ooh. the air, and Lost, of course, had multiple noteworthy like creators and writers jj mm-hmm. abrams the carlton cuse yeah is the other one um it's uh heading toward the end of its time on the on the air and the guy who's kind of become the face of the creative process on lost is damon lindelof mm-hmm. uh damon lindelof is you know emerged from tv wrote on like things like Nash Bridges and Crossing Jordan and you know like came up like as a script reader like just this is like a pro screenwriter right and but the lost now he's considered a genius mm. but lost also kind of starts the Damon Lindelof thing of like can this man stick the landing Ooh, with his yes. broad ideas and broad <laughs> concepts are you are you able to like cross a bridge while if you're like building it while you cross it? <laughs> yeah, and like you're building like a bridge that just keeps getting more complicated and weirder, and like w- with a fan base that is like noting every single nut and bolt put into the bridge. Oh God, yeah, because I I was did you watch Lost when it was on when it was at its peak? I well I did I did not finish it though. I gave up after like the third or fourth season or something like that's, that. I feel like that's when most people give up that for the third and four, for that fourth season when it becomes like really like, oh, we're committed to being a sci-fi show. We're introducing time travel. <laughs> yeah. And Christopher Nolan said this about time travel. Mm-hmm. You better have your plan down like completely <laughs> like, or else it's going to get bad. Like JJC agrees on that, too. Like you mm-hmm. better have the complete the pseudoscience of your time travel and timeline completely down and explainable, or else it will be picked apart completely. Oh yeah. And from what I understand, and then the other thing too is I think Damon Lindelof really struggles with religion and balancing his belief in science and sci-fi with his clear belief in some sort of afterlife and some sort of god or deity. Uh, which makes him interesting too this is why this guy continues to like be an interesting commodity 
It's a fun struggle. That's an interesting. Yeah, yeah cause it's, it's like I think we all go through it. You know, it makes him an interesting guy. This is like what makes creative people interesting, and mm-hmm. but it also I think like something we were just discussing. It's like this guy also came up in the world of being told what to do on like Nash Bridges. Mm-hmm. So he's got a very like TV. This is how you do it. This is how you tell a story. Mindset. Too. He can't act. I don't think it was until he got the leftovers that he was able to really let his freak flag fly entirely. Mm. You know, and I haven't seen no. his watch. I haven't seen his Watchmen, but everybody says it's great. I was a little like wary, just in general. It's yeah, it's that. a tough like. Uh, it's like it's one of those things where like you know maybe I would have liked to have seen that more if it had not even been like connected Called to Watchmen watch. or something. Yeah, like watch guys. I'm, Watch guys. I don't know. Watch <laughs> dudes. Watch dudes, bro. I watch the watch loose. dudes. I uh, watch the hang loose. I'm hanging loose. It's just like a bunch of guys like listening to Jack Johnson. That's the entire show. That's their <laughs> very, superpower. They're not, they're not annoyed is, by Jack Johnson. They're like really chill. Like really chill. Like how <laughs> chill? Like is it too chill? And that's like the drama of the show. Like how mm. chill is too chill? Can faith exist in a world so chill? Yeah, hard to know. I don't, you know, here's the deal, though. I don't think Damien Lindelof is a particularly chill guy. <laughs> no, I get the sense that he's from. It's pretty high strung. He's a little yeah. high strung guy. <laughs> so, but he's hot, and he mm-hmm. gets brought in, and to take a look at the script. Apparently, they gave him the script, and they had like the guy who dropped the script off to him stand mm-hmm. outside the room to take it back, and they made him sit there read it and then hand it back and he did not know what the script was he did not know it was an alien he did not know anything about it wow and it's like that story of like how on when tarantino writes his new script like leonardo dicaprio has to go to tarantino's house and read it on like tarantino's patio wow to like and then like hand it back <laughs> like it's yeah, not well, allowed you can't, yeah that's and a hot commodity. Like, yeah, like same with like Christopher Nolan scripts are like not allowed to pass. It. Although, have you heard? Like, Killian Murphy said that the Oppenheimer script is written in first person, which is awesome. What? Like, that is yeah, wild. Yeah, like I don't. I want to see it. I gotta that see is, it. <laughs> I do, I do like it when like directors they become so. Um, powerful and popular like our screenwriters even that they can they're yeah. allowed to like screw around with a form that typically has to be so like yeah i know like to like the lay person has to be like oh if you like don't do this right you're they won't even like look at it and like crystal and writes this crazed script about <laughs> robert oppenheimer in first person like <laughs> good for him that's the dream that really is the dream so oh, yeah. um lindoff reads it and basically they come back to him and they're like so what do you think? And he's like, he felt it felt a little greatest hits. Mm. And it really is like, okay, so the movie just ends with John Hurt looking in like the space eggs. Like, Ooh. I don't like. Get out of I, here. I, I gotta give him like, I agree. Yeah. Like, I, I don't really want to see that. Like just fan done. service run up or whatever to like yeah. how John Hurt and Sigourney and all of them got there. Like, I would have watched it. 
but it's not interesting. Yeah. No, we well, it's yeah, well, it's like we want to see something new, something fresh. Yeah. So, um, Lindelof's pitch was essentially alien movie with no alien, which is yeah. bold, and this is why this guy continues to like get work and that kind of thing. Like he is like a wild idea, man. Like, you know, and that's a crazy because like that is like. I feel like at this point, there definitely had been, like, like the draw to Alien had been the Alien. Yeah. As much as those movies aren't necessarily about that, I think, like, like people consistently were kind of, like, I think, like, Hollywood, everyone thought that, like, the power of that franchise was in that specific, like, iconography Mm -hmm. and that, like, bad to the point where they were making AVP movies where it's like, yeah, he's like Jason or Freddy. Yeah. And so, um, Lind- uh, Scott was like, ring, ringing. Apparently, mm-hmm. the script wasn't done, and Lindelof was on board. And he spent, you know, multiple weeks <laughs> rewriting this script. Mm-hmm. And what he brought into it was like, and Scott, of course, is like way into it. It's like all these like Paradise Lost, John Milton, like William Blake, but also. Blade Runner is brought into this like like the themes of humanity and like what is a human being and all this kind of thing and where do we come from and the ultimate idea of the AI or the um, droid character right you know where does being hu- being a robot start and being a re- human end and vice versa yeah it's, that it's whole, all like... groovy stuff yeah oh me. for sure yeah, well, it's like all that like world on a wire. Like, what what am I like? What am I if I've been made by this fallible thing? Mm-hmm. And so here's a quote from Lindelof. Uh, Blade Runner might have not done well financially when it came out, but people are still talking about it because it infused with all these big ideas. Uh, Ridley was also talking about very big themes of Prometheus. It was being driven by people who wanted answers to these huge questions. But I thought what we could do, we could do that without ever getting too pretentious. Nobody wants to see a movie with people floating around in space talking about the meaning of life. I do, and I have. It was called like Ad Astra, yeah, <laughs> or two thousand one Space Odyssey. Um, <laughs> this was our president's uh, John Spates' original script, and Ridley just wanted to bring these big themes out even more. And so Lindelof punched it all up. He punched up like the initial themes of like, you know, Lindelof thought believe character Shaw need to be really distinct from Ripley so he started building that out including his like big thing by the idea that she believes in the Christian God right you know that was like a and I think that's an essential yeah. part of this entire story and also kind of expanding on the David character giving them more and more details all these kind of things simultaneously mm-hmm. though really already had like walls and walls of Arthur Max production design and all that kind of stuff ready to go for this thing. Mm-hmm. And he also had a game plan to shoot this thing as practical as possible on these gigantic sets at Pinewood in England and in Iceland and like in these like that the, that beautiful volcanic rock where they shot the interstellar uh, snow planet as well. And also, though, taking on what he learned from Cameron with the the effects and stuff like that, because this movie was going to be in 3D, too. Mm-hmm. So all of this leads up to Spates and Lindelof get the 
screenwriting credit is an and, not an ampersand. They are not a team. <laughs> Lindelof clearly came in to rewrite Spates' script. But they have a script. Now we get to casting this movie. We'll get to the story at some point here. <laughs> We're getting there. Don't worry, folks. Don't we worry. We'll get there. So the cast this movie, the original thought process is they needed like a big... You know, the Alien series, one of the groovy things about the Alien series is the the six key ones all have like a really dynamic, strong female lead character mm-hmm. kind of leading the way. This one, the the lead character is this is an archaeologist named Elizabeth Shaw. Um, they went to a bunch of different actresses. Apparently, 20th Century Fox had their hearts set on Natalie Portman. Wow. But they also looked at Anne Hathaway, Gemma Arterton, Carrie Mulligan, Abby Cornish, of course, from Good Life. How could, how could you forget? <laughs> I love wine. She had a sunburned ass. <laughs> <laughs> could have incorporated that into this movie. Um, and then they also, um, Ridley was really keen to work with Charlize Theron and mm-hmm. won her for the lead. But she had already signed on, was contractually obligated to the massive, endlessly delayed, endlessly long production that became Mad Max Fury Road. So her availability was um, questionable due to the questionable shoot that was Mad <laughs> Max Fury Road. Of course, always with uh, with so many of these questionable shoot turns out, you know, Mad Max Fury Road worked out. Yeah, no, good choice. You know, masterpiece of, of the form. Um, complete and utter masterpiece of the form. Mm. I love that interview with Steven Soderbergh where he just like broke it down. He's like, I make movies. I've made 30 movies. I have no clue how they made this movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, it's magical. <laughs> it's Yeah, that is a ludicrous film. So she was um, unavailable to play the lead. But we'll get to that in a moment their kind of heart set on being a part of this movie. But then Ridley Scott saw the original Swedish version, 2009's Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, mm. the original I've taste, and he saw an actress named uh, Numi Rapace, uh, who played the original Elizabeth Salander. We'll talk about the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo in a few months, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, a little probably. bit more thoroughly. Um, but and he was struck by her. And you know, really, man, this is like a classic Ridley thing. He sees a hot, a hot commodity. Right. And strikes and puts him in a lead role. <laughs> like in his movie. And he's been doing this since you know, Tom Cruise in Legend. Yeah. Like, Oh, yeah. Or even like Harrison Ford in Blade Runner. Like, or like casting Sigourney Weaver, who's not a big star in Alien. Like he yeah, has like a that, vision. Yeah. Or even all the way to like. He, you know, he's gonna make Paul Mescal a household name. Yes, yeah, with Gladiator too. A hundred percent. Very yeah, shortly that, here. Yeah. What even to our boy Russell Crowe in, Gladi- in Gladiator? Yeah, that, that, that actually elevated. another actor playing the second lead in this that he's doing the same thing with. That we'll Ooh. get to in just a moment here. But uh, he brings, he likes her. She brings it, and she brings a lot of like. He likes the fact that she's tough, but vulnerable, you know, kind of all the qualities you want mm-hmm. in this in this role. So he casts her as leading actress. 
Um, in the role of the android character, I love, this is another thing I love about the Alien movies, is like these tropes that you have to hit. Mm-hmm. You have to get an android character. Yeah. In all the good ones. And uh... there have been some classic androids. Ian Holm in Alien. Lance Henriksen in Aliens. Like, and in Alien 3. And yeah. Then, Hey. You know, and down the line, mm-hmm. this is great, and even into Covenant. Um, but this time around, so basically, Ridley Scott described the character David, who is the android in this. He's not a secret android. He makes it, mm. it's clear from the jump. Like, there's no like mask unveiling yeah. moment. He is the butler, is how Ridley Scott described him of mm. this ship in this one. And though he's got. I love the way they introduce him in this movie while everyone's asleep, like playing basketball while riding a bike and like bleaching his hair blonde to look like Peter O'Toole and Lawrence of Arabia and like practicing languages. And you just get this impression. This guy's like arrogant and like kind of a dandy. And it's really like you're already from the start. Like what is his deal? And that's what makes him intriguing. And for this role, they went with one. And there's also a combination, too, because they wanted, like, they thought a lot about Riker Hauer and Sean Young Mm. in Blade Runner for kind of a combo and how they were as the replicants. Right. Kind of a crossover type thing because the replicants have kind of a personality and this, like, confusion, but also a superiority Mm. to humans. Which is everything we needed. So he went with the Irish-German actor Michael Fassbender to play the role of David. Uh, Fassbender had his breakthrough in – he'd been an up-and-comer, but 2008 was his breakthrough with Steve McQueen's Hunger. Have you seen Hunger? No, I haven't. I've been wanting to. It's a difficult movie, but it's a dour film. And you know, Fassbender plays a guy who's in prison – this is in the troubles, the height of the troubles in the 1970s in England and Ireland. He plays a true life character, Bobby Sands, who goes to prison and goes on a hunger strike. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the things that make this movie like memorable is Fassbender loses, like, you know, he's down to a twig yeah. by the end of it. He looks like death by the end of it. But there's also this scene in the middle of the movie where he talks to a priest as he's going into the hunger strike. That is a like, I think it's like a 16 minute unbroken take of this dialogue scene where they're just smoking cigarettes and doing this dialogue scene. And you're like, jeez, oh my, like this guy. It's like a play. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> you're like, wow. And then he did, um, he's in Inglorious Bastards in 2009. And he's in Fish Tank in 2009. I don't know if you've ever seen Fish Tank, which is a, he's a, uh, it's like this kitchen kitchen sink realism movie about this young woman who's like this teen girl who's like a delinquent and her mom gets this new boyfriend played by fast spender who's like this cool guy but also clearly is like a dirty dirty dealer in his own right yeah and it's like like andrea arnold right yeah so if you watch like hunger and fish tank and bastards you're like Mm -hmm. you're right Jen, th- Jen just called it out. He had he, he and then in 2011, yes. Oh my god! He does. Yeah. He does this quadrilogy of. He's actually in fucking five movies in 2011, he, and they're all like. So he's Rochester in the 
Kerry Fukunawa Jane Eyre remake. Wow. He's Carl Jung in Cronenberg's A Dangerous Method. God He's damn. one of the guys who gets his ass kicked by Gina Carano and Soderbergh's Haywire. <laughs> like, but even more so, and Jen just called it out, He's Magneto in X-Men First Class, and he's a damn great Magneto, if you ask me. Easily. He's like him and James McAvoy were easily the best I parts. I've seen an entire movie of them playing chess, talking about what they should do as mutants and how they relate to humanity. Also, a great predecessor to his role in this one, too, and oh. his difficulty in being different. And perhaps most of all, my favorite performance of his is in steve mcqueen's shame and if you thought hunger was a fun time get ready for shame (laughs) yeah there's a reason it's called shame yeah oh i love it i love this movie (laughs) it is so dark and so heavy and so bleak i love it you know that's the one where he plays a upstanding supposedly upstanding member of manhattan society he has a little quirk who has a bit of a quirk which is he is a deranged sex addict yeah and it's a movie about a like one of the heaviest movies about addiction mm-hmm. i think i've ever seen and an unlikely addiction yeah because oh, usually you sure. would see this with like you know heroin or what have you um but like yeah and he should have been nominated for best actor should have won for best actor in yeah. 2011 for shame maybe so, he should have been nominated for this movie this guy at this point i mean yeah most exciting actor most exciting emerging actor. Yeah. Like you, you just, you just said, like he, he worked with like four like auteur Every- directors apparently, like, you know, in one year essentially. Yeah, everyone wants a piece. So and really, it's like he's perfect for mm-hmm. David. He's the only choice. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. So he's cast as David. His influences, he has said, were um, Hal from 2001: <laughs> Space Odyssey. Oh yeah, there's a little bit of Hal uh, in there. David Bowie in The Man Who Fell to Earth. Nice. Um, obviously, Lawrence of Arabia. And mm-hmm. so oddly enough, the Olympic diver Greg Louganis was was all of his. But this is like a, that's a true blue actor thing to like pick up all of these different themes. We'll mm-hmm. get to how he brings these to life in just a moment. Uh, playing the Wayland Corporation, also a key part of the alien world. He's the corporate figure. Um, mm, yeah. Memorably, the probably, the, probably the greatest of them all is, still stands this day. A Hall of Fame Paul Reiser in oh, Aliens man. is the key one. But in this one, it's Meredith Vickers, Ice Queen, <laughs> corporate mm. employee played yeah. by Charlize Theron. Um, you know, she took a lesser role, but it's still she's very memorable. It's mm-hmm. very, very strong performance. And she is the corporate person making sure they stay on track and making sure the project is completed. What is this project? Mm-hmm. Takes a bit to get there. Actually, yeah. what this might be. Did you know that also considered for this role, Angelina Jolie, which I see, Ooh, but yeah. also in maybe in a more interesting way, Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, she, that is fascinating. That would have worked. Uh, which I would have liked to see. But I like yeah. Shirley's thrown in this role. No, well, she's like brings such a like, like girl boss gone sour energy. Yeah, like that I whole think... like yeah, and it's like she has the she reminds you of Elizabeth Holmes, like the yeah, the, I think the, the, the ponytail yeah. attack, the, the turtleneck. And but it's so interesting because like how she's revealed and what her like actual motivations are. 
mm. are in really, really fascinating. Uh, playing the captain of the ship, we got to get also kind of the blue collar guys, the yeah. ragtag blue collar guys in this thing. And I like this. I like this performance a lot. It's Idris Elba as Janik, uh, the captain of the ship. Should let it be known now. We'll just tear this bandit. The ship is called the Prometheus. So mm. the movie's named after the ship, which is cool too. It's a good way of making it. If they had had the courage for the second one, they would have called the second movie Covenant only. Yeah. 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 Kind of a. That was a sweaty move. It's calling it alien. Calling call co- That's like that's a little desperate. Sweaty, yeah, it's a little sweaty. Um, yeah. And Elba plays him like as a like a sea captain, basically. Mm-hmm. He's doing sea shanties, except his sea shanties <laughs> love the one you're with, Stephen Stills, which is groovy. Yeah, that's <laughs> he's, such an he's, insane character. He's trait. very, very fun. Like mm-hmm. he, like, because you got to get like the realist guy, just who's yeah. like, I'm here to make money. Like, he's the Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah, he's Tom Scarrett. He's Harry Dean Stanton. He's you know, Yafet uh, Koto. You know, yeah. any of those guys. You love them. You love to see them. Love to see him. You love to see him. Uh, playing the role of billionaire founder of the Wayland Corporation, which, okay, so another thing. This insidious corporation, the Wayland Corporation, which hangs over this entire series that is mysterious, seemingly endless amounts of money, and seemingly has ulterior motives at all times. Yeah. <laughs> Nonstop. And also, Mr. Uh, Burns esque. Also, a great theme of the series is the distrust, complete and utter distrust of megatech corporations. Yes. <laughs> this is a long-standing thing that the blue-collar working-class characters will be screwed over by the ulterior motives on the hunt for a dangerous thing that they probably should not want to be hunting for. <laughs> and let it be. <laughs> let the snipes snipe let them do it's their quote thing another Damon Lindelof show the leftovers let the mystery be <laughs> you know? uh, but we finally get to meet Peter Whalen the founder of this corporation played by Guy Pierce under Ooh. a like 50 pounds of like caked on makeup but he looks good I love it's it fun. I, yeah I love that like it's such a because I feel like nowadays like you know, it'd be like some sort of, there'd be like some sort of CGI element maybe to like, you know, the makeup, mm-hmm. but like it just, yeah, it's very good. But they've, I, you know, I think like we're heading into this Indiana Jones thing where Harrison oh, Ford no. gets de-aged and I want to see it. This is an yeah. Indiana Jones head, you know, right. nostalgia and all that kind of thing. There's something to be said though about like groovy age makeup or just casting a younger actor and an older yeah. actor. Like it's old school. It's imperfect. I get why they did it in The Irishman because you wanted to see these guys. Nah, that one it like, works for the, the same deal. As I get it with Indiana Jones. Frankly, mm-hmm. you want to see Harrison Ford. Yeah, you know. But here, you don't need to. We don't know who Peter Wayland is up until this point. We've never seen him in any other other alien pictures, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly enough, Max von Sydow was. Ridley Scott's original choice. Ooh. But they liked the idea of Guy Pierce because he could play him at different ages. Mm. You know, they could cake him with makeup or he could play a younger version if need be. Right. 
you know, for those like TED talks and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh my God. By the way, I think the craziest thing about the TED talk is so it's 2023. That's when the TED talks based Mm -hmm. and it's a TED talk that is in a stadium. It is like Hollywood bowl. Very, a very interesting we had a very different idea of like the well, popularity is, of TED is, Talks back is, in 2011. This is, this is still the dream. This is still the dreams of people who write for Wired or The Atlantic. Is that that this is where we're going? Is like this is all people will care about is like ideas. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like it's interesting for like the negative. One thing I kind of appreciate about Prometheus in its own weird way, and it is that in its own weird way, there is like a a positive. S- it's not as like cynical as it's cynical in a lot of regards, but just like the fact that like the movie begins with like, you know, earnest scientists exploring in Scotland. Like, it feels like society hasn't like devolved into a the 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 Blade Runner-esque hellscape. Yeah, like there's yeah. still like beautiful places that we can discover cave drawings. Exactly. And like the, ca- yeah, the and- cave of forgotten dreams, as for Herzog would call it. Um mm-hmm. So speaking of one of those scientists, I think the most divisive character in the movie, Logan Marshall Green plays Charlie Holloway, archaeologist and Shaw's love interest. Logan Marshall Green was like utterly unknown at this point. Mm-hmm. And I know that they would joke among anyone who saw this movie when it came out was like, is that Tom Hardy? Yeah, it looks like Tom Hardy. Seems like Tom Hardy, but it's not Tom Hardy. Yeah, no, that's definitely. It's so funny. It looks like him. (laughs) Even the movie he's in is like it's like a Venom like parallel. Yeah, and so at this point he'd been in like a handful of things. He was in Brooklyn's Finest. Oh, (laughs) as I remember him, like I think a very small role. I think he's like a isn't he like a cop who kind of like screws up. He might be like, yeah, one of like Richard Gere's like protege. Isn't he gun. like basically like he's like the prez from The Wire, but in Brooklyn's Finest, so it's all heightened. It's not as good as The Wire. <laughs> like a super prez, yeah. I don't know, like... And he did this movie, uh, M. Night Shyamalan produced called Devil, which I liked <laughs> a lot, which is like they get stuck in this elevator to oh. hell or something movie. And one of them I liked the it devil. when it came out. It was good. It was a good time. Yeah, it was, it was a very fun one. <laughs> But basically, yeah, he he just considered himself at this point like an off, off, off Broadway actor. Wow. Um, you know, and it's interesting because I like he was like when I saw this movie, I was like, I don't get this character. I don't get what they did with him. Mm-hmm. He's like, and even the Ian Nathan book, he's like, this guy's unlikable. Why did they mm-hmm. make him unlikable? I don't get it. It's like he is so he mean. didn't have to be a dick, like nonstop all the way through. Yeah. You don't know why Elizabeth, who is a sweet natured, like wide eyed scientist, is with him. <laughs> you don't know what he brings actually to these scientific journeys. Even yeah, like he That's doesn't right. seem recklessness. <laughs> reckless. He doesn't seem smart. He does not seem scientific. <laughs> no. And I, I held it against Logan Marshall Green, which I should not have, because he's turned into a fine actor who I enjoy seeing in movies. Like, yeah, he's a good presence. Yeah, you know, I think like probably our favorites, The Invitation, the Karen Kusama movie, which is a oh, really yeah. nice little horror movie, and then Upgrade, mm-hmm. which you know, Upgrade rules. You know, oh, for sure. 
a great time. And, you know, I think he's done some TV since then. He, yeah, he's done a bunch of stuff, but, you know, mm -hmm. didn't break, has not seemed to have like totally broke through, you know, as a big actor, but like an enjoyable presence, despite the fact that he turned off everyone, like <laughs> his character turned off everyone in this movie, including a certain Android on this Ooh. Prometheus that he should not have to not have uh, offended. <laughs> they did not realize that this uh, android had very delicate and very judgy manners and personality. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this this android could sense that you're being a bit of a jerk. Uh, uh, also on the crew, we've got Sean Harris as Fivefield and Rafe Spall as Milburn, two good actors who are kind of thrown into, uh, you know, we know they're just they're cons. canon. They're canon. They're canon. Canon fodder with some personality. Like, yeah, they're they're they're, they're, they're plot is movers. A, um, somewhat unhinged geologist, punk rock yeah. geologist. Punk <laughs> rock geologist. You know. <laughs> and Ray Spall is nerd ass biologist Milburn. Oh God, you just want to wedge your spall. Yeah, and they're they're they're. I think they're supposed to be humorous, but really, we know what their job is just to to to, to die first. Yeah, I mean, like we come on, let's get you know. get lost and goopified. Get lost and goopified. Uh, Kate Dickey is ship's medic Ford. Uh, Emma, love her. Yeah, me too. Emma and Elliot and Benedict Wong play uh, pilots Chance and Ravel, mm. who are basically there to be kind of like sidekicks and laugh at Idris Elba's jokes. Yeah, they're like uh, but they're fun. Idris. Yeah, I like them. They both do a and good then, job. And then uh, in a cameo, Patrick Wilson from Angels in America plays uh, Shaw's father in flashbacks. Mm. So, what is the story of Prometheus? Essentially, to cut it down to it, two archaeologists in um, late 21st century are digging through caves in Scotland and discover a star map and make some connections that perhaps this might lead them to an ancient culture deep, deep within space. They have convinced the Wayland Corporation to put down a billion dollars wow. to go on this journey to a planet deep, deep in space that requires hypersleep. They arrive on the planet they discover some very interesting things and some things that perhaps aren't as interesting to them. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, um, more terrifying. More terrifying. Uh, interesting thing I discovered too is that, you know, a lot of people talk about uh, 2001 and these mm -hmm. like highbrow literary references to this movie. I was reading up on it and there is a late 60s sci-fi movie from 65 called, directed by the great Italian director Mario Bava entitled mm -hmm. Planet of the Vampires and I it's on the Roku channel or screen mm -hmm. picks right now so oh, I yeah. watched about an hour of it yesterday because I was like oh Andrew like this seems like more of a culty movie for Ridley that movie's about a group of scientists on a deep space mission who land on a mysterious eerie planet that's smoke filled and it takes forever for them to figure out it's a vampire planet basically, <laughs> but it's there like the seeds of alien and Prometheus <laughs> are actually there. Like you can see it. It's like, wow, 
Ridley must have saw. I was going to say as a kid, but he was almost thirty years old in nineteen sixty-five. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, he is. He's he's been around. He's older than Scorsese, right? Yeah, he is. Like, I believe he's like five years older. Wow, than Scorsese, which is remarkable. Mm-hmm. Ridley Scott, give me whatever serum Whistler is cooking up for Ridley Scott. I'll take it. He needs to. We need to get him to visit the. Like, maybe he can visit one of the good engineers. Maybe are there good engineers? I don't know. Well, one of the interesting things too is that the engineers, I think that they're at one point they are referred to as directors. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> so, so on board ship, we've kind of introduced the cast. It's like this ragtag group of scientists. Then there's mm-hmm. this ice queen boss lady, Vickers, and then there's the ship's android butler, David. Mm-hmm. They reach the space planet. Really, like we mentioned, shoots and um, try to shoot as real as possible. Apparent, according to uh, Numi Replace, there was like five green screenshots mm-hmm. in the entire. Obviously, there's a ton of post production visual effects in this yeah. movie. But it's like an un- it's unavoidable at this point. It's unavoidable at this point, but it still looks great. The VFX is incorporated beautifully. If you ask me, this movie is. Almost a decade old, if not a decade old at this point, and it still looks breathtaking. It's eleven oh. years old, and it's a breathtaking looking movie. Looks better. I saw Fast X last night. It looks better than Fast X. <laughs> yeah, it's a gorgeous. Well, and it's just all the sets are like tactile and feel lived in, and it feels like this perfect like. And, and he wanted like the per- actors to feel that. He wanted them to feel like these huge caverns, everything like mm-hmm. that, to add to their performance and add to their sense of awe basically i would say this like when i saw an imax 3d i still distinctly remember that part where david turns on the machine and sees the living star map oh man yeah and in imax 3d when the stars are in your face and stuff you're like this is like this is why (laughs) everyone was like hyping 3d man this is awesome yeah that is a good example of how to use 3d but it's so cool because so like we have the general mission which is mm-hmm. they're going to get off. They're going to explore this space planet. Mm-hmm. But from the jump, we're like, what is Vickers up to? And what is David up yeah, to? Yeah, like, you know, there's <laughs> like some ulterior motives. With yeah, Vick, you, know? you can yeah, feel they're... it like from the start, which is so much fun. That's yeah. like the great thing about the alien movies is like, What's actually going on here? <laughs> it's like Yeah. Well, and you get a sense too that like David, like I feel like in all the past movies, or not all the past movies, but like um, you know, the the the, the androids kind of fall into two categories. Either they're like, you know, your friend like Lance Henriksen. Yeah, like benevolent savior characters like Lance Henriksen, or they're like Literal cogs in the machine, like Ian Holm. Yeah, with ulterior, the most ulterior yeah. of motives. They have been programmed to do something that no one else on board knows that they have been programmed to do. Exactly. But in this one, you're also wondering, does the programming even work for David anymore? Has oh, he evolved man. so much? So this is quit screw. So Elizabeth and um, Holloway are searching for God, the mm-hmm. Christian God. Right. Whereas there is an android on the ship who is slowly but surely seemingly starting to believe that he himself is God. 
<laughs> Which is awesome. That yeah. is good stuff. That's what I want to see in a big movie. Like, that's how big, you know, that's how ambitious this movie is. Meanwhile, so they go in board. They're searching around. David seems to be like doing his own research project. Despite yeah, he's in his the, own world. Despite everything, he is actively bickering with Holloway. Because Holloway doesn't take him seriously. You're just a robot. And you can see, because let's talk about this now. Fastbender should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this movie. Yes. Like, I know it's a big genre movie. I know it's a, like an IP movie. He's utterly brilliant in this movie. Yeah, Every he's... It's so meticulous, his performance. It's so spot on. Mm-hmm. And it takes this movie to another level. It's well, and I think like it's so it's a testament to his skills as a uh, an actor that whenever he has those conversations with like Log with Holloway, you side you know that Michael you know that David's evil you know that something's yeah. up with his like or like at the very least he doesn't have the best intentions for yeah, the crew for <laughs> anyone you know, yeah. or anyone yeah except himself maybe but uh but uh you side with them and you hate this boorish Holloway it's, it's so, so yeah. boorish but at the same time you could see in David David is so arrogant and Holloway is so stupid and not mm-hmm. picking up like David is not not good. No, well, and it's like, and it's very like, it's so like, it's such a case of like, you know, Holloway thinks he's the cat, and David, yeah. it's the other way around. Oh entirely. no, you're in like big trouble, my man. Like, yeah, you know, all of get you out, out of there. Tr- he's up to something, and no one is picking up on this at all. Like, <laughs> and we know already, David has like a really contentious relationship with Vickers. Why? I don't know. Mm. We'll get to it. <laughs> like, you know, it's mm. so they go in, but then this is great. Like we got a huge storm coming in, and we have to get back to the ship. We've discovered mm-hmm. all sorts of weird stuff. We got ahead yeah. of one of the engineers. We've got all sorts We've got of like a lot of goop. Like, a lot like, of... kind of like Egyptian kind of like ancient engravings on the wall and stuff like that. Like a it feels like a pyramid. It's like yeah, there's there's like a, there's like a controls that are like squishy jujubes like <laughs> yeah and this is all in like the first hour of the movie and we're like are we intrigued oh 1000 percent we're intrigued like where oh, are we for... going with this thing like what are we gonna find and is this an alien movie <laughs> like yeah. all this is like hanging over our heads <laughs> you know, are they gonna like they're probably gonna run into an alien at some point there's right. gotta be, you know, one of those classic aliens, right? Xenomorph, yeah. right? We're gonna get a xenomorph. Yeah, at some point. And then so do we get this great action scene? Ridley knows we gotta get an action scene. Where they're mm-hmm. getting they're trying to outrace this storm. They're going for the he- they drop the head, Elizabeth, because she's so single minded. Mm-hmm. Goes out for the head. Holloway can't save her. I like this. David is the one who has to go out and save her interesting like i like yeah. it's like oh david's like better he's like more advanced he can go out in this storm like all these things like also uh do sex machina like literally in that moment kind of yeah. like he's like the solving he's the robot solving the problem yeah exactly so they get back on board we also don't know that david has brought stuff back 
that they don't know that he has brought back with them. What? Yeah, David might have gotten some uh, some strange soup. Yeah, he, uh, he, he brought some space goop that we saw in the prologue in Iceland with the engineer who drinks it, immediately disintegrates and falls into man a, a waterfall. Beautiful. I'm still a little confused by by a lot of it. But to be perfectly honest, but but I kind of like that's like see that's what I love the most about the movie because that to me that's like kind of evokes what I loved about like Alien, like the first Alien is mm. this just like what's going on? I'm to- sort of so lost. far beyond, and yeah. we are this like group of like construction workers basically who are thrown into something so yeah, far we're just, beyond. We're just a couple of par- Paul Blart's witch- witnessing like the creation of a society yeah, like, of mankind. Like, are, are we supposed to have all the answers? I think that's a big question in this movie. And it's interesting from a guy like Ridley Scott who's so technical and so like this who like seems to like honestly say maybe we shouldn't. Maybe mm. we should like Maybe there are things in this universe that we should just let it be mysterious and we'll see what happens. Maybe Wayland would have been better off like on a on, at the French countryside smoking a stogie and drinking some wine. Yeah, that maybe just hanging out with your novelist friends and learning to love again. Yeah, she oh, drinking a really good Bordeaux. Should have had a good is, year, Wayland. Yeah. Maybe a good year is the secret to all of Ridley Scott's <laughs> philosophy. It's just like chill out, man. Hey, it's wine o'clock somewhere. You know, I know London Big Business is what it is. We know all mm-hmm. about it. You and mm-hmm. I are experts in London Big Business, mm-hmm. clearly. <laughs> like, oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I know about the London Stock Exchange. I know. Come on. But sometimes you've got to go to your uncle's massive billion-dollar winery. <laughs> but somehow he has. Just hang out. Fall into a pool. Fall into a dirt-filled swimming pool if you have to. (laughs) I love our listeners who like tune into this who want alien coverage. You're like, man, I do not want to hear any more about a good year. (laughs) Sorry, folks. We're we're done with it. That was imprinted in our brains. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's it's up there with me, Joe Black, now. Yeah. And and in my head, it's like, yeah, 10 out of 10. Good year. Perfect movie. 10 out of 10. Perfect movie. Uh, So Holloway continues to, like, negate David. So David's like, well, well, this blank goop. I don't quite know what it. I like, I like Michael Fassbender's uh, line reading. He goes, organic. Like I always think about that every time I see that. Word. Ooh, organic. <laughs> He's like so like genuinely excited, which is such, which is such a crazy thing for a robot to be. I know. <laughs> yeah, like the balance between him being like this icy robot and him being this like foppish Peter O'Toole wannabe. Hmm is really cool like it's great it's so unique yeah like it's just not what you expect it's like a different angle on this thing so um holloway's also like decided like this mission's a bust yeah even though they've discovered life on other planets not a bust he's not a bust bust for him he didn't find god so he's just gonna drink away the night Mm -hmm. what a dope Oof. What a dummy. What this dummy. So uh, he lets David pour him a drink. Yeah. Dumb. Clearly Dumb. dips his finger in the glass. Well, he clearly like hands it to him and he dips his finger in the glass with the goop on his finger. And he hands it to him and Holloway doesn't care because he's an idiot. 
So like, it's like, hey, maybe you know, maybe it's like a this secret. Is the, this is really the biggest issue is like how poorly written this Holloway character is. Well, it's like him, and then like the two ding dongs that are like yes, the two so, absolute ding dongs. We'll get to them two, in just a second. So God. Holloway has clearly been dunked, yeah, with Black Goop. Meanwhile, yeah. these two ding dongs. Uh, Rafe Spall and uh, Sean Harris, two very good actors. Oh yeah, Harris. Um, yeah, they did not make it back in the dust storm, so they are in the caves. Like, like these guys who are on like a, a one billion dollar mission. You think you get like the best dollar, of the you best? You get the best of the best. You get two idiots who rightfully are like nervous. Yeah, about this thing. And they're on guard, and you're like, buy that. I buy that entirely. I don't want to be here. I'm on guard. But yeah. then they're kind of like strolling around this thing, and they discover what we as alien fans would be like. That's a no-no. Yeah. This get away. See a lot of goop. Get away from the goop. The goop's so bad. Mil- goop is always bad. And Milburn, who up until this point has been a nervous wreck, yeah. in like realistically all of a reacting. Sudden, Playing with an alien, like an alien being, like it's like a kitten, right? He sees like it's like a lovely a... new kitten, and he wants to hug it and give it a kiss. Yeah, there's like snuggle. a snuggle, a little snuggle. He wants to snuggle and, with it, and it's like it's like a crazy looking gross snake thing. It's head up like yeah. a cobra. It's like, it very. Looks, it looks very dangerous. Yeah, it's aggressive. It's too. scary. Like a... Yeah, it's aggressive and scary. Yes. If they had simply given five field a line of saying, get the fuck away with, get the fuck away from that, you idiot. Yeah. It would have bought me a lot more yes. goodwill to this or like even like I this... thought I fell asleep. To be, I've seen this movie a bunch. Mm-hmm. When I watched this the other night, I thought I had fallen asleep because I was like, why is he being so, <laughs> like, I couldn't believe, I was like, this it, is such, it doesn't make sense. Does well, it? I think, the, yeah, to me, it's like, it kind of feels like, you know, we talk about how Ridley Scott, like, is not like a character guy as much, or yeah. like a story, and I feel like, and it feels like, you have you get to the sense get like, here, you have yes. to get here to this story. We, we buy it, actually, like, Holloway's an asshole and an idiot, but we buy David doing, and I almost think we could have just had David do this experiment. Mm-hmm. We didn't need these guys. No, it feels tacked on. Because I think it's like this battle between an alien movie and this philosophical, like who is God, movie. Yeah, well, it's like I think they're just they they feel like they can't do like OG Alien, where like you know no one's speaking for long stretches of time, yeah. and it's just like a somber John Hurt chilling in this little like. You know, egg pod, and, and they can't. You know, the midway point in Alien, which you know, this just it's one of the most memorable moments in movie history mm-hmm. when the the thing bursts out of his chest mm-hmm. at lunch. Yeah, <laughs> when they're all when he seems so like happy and like I'm hungry, let's do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so of course these guys get attacked. Yeah. By this creature, they're screwed. Dunzo. Mm-hmm. Yep. Goop and it's in my suit. It's in my suit. Obviously, you know, you love that too. It's great. It's scary. <laughs> oh, it's a good like the, the moment's cool. Like, yeah, yeah you, you guys you just, like, you just the wish build it was up a little more. Just, like, wish when they were so stupid. 
Yeah, because there's like ways you could have done that with them still being normal. Gu- like yeah. You could have just had the aliens sneak up on them or something. Or so, establish that Milburn's like uh, uh, an animal lunatic or something. So meanwhile, Holloway drunkenly comes into him and Shaw's quarters. And naturally, you know, after a day of adventure, near death, mm-hmm. weird goop, failed mm-hmm. missions, and drinking yourself drinking drinking yourself into a stupor with a while having a philosophical conversation with an android mm-hmm. holloway's next choice is clearly he's he needs to have sex with shaw <laughs> like, yeah i mean come on like yeah this is a lo- lot folks it's logic yeah. <laughs> it's just logic there and go. Like, logically she's got to be totally up for it yeah, like okay, I guess I'll like uh, have uh, intimate affair uh, relations with my south after up. this like south up archaeologist like lover who after a very like eventful day. Yeah, I want to. I personally, I'd be like, I'm going to bed. Yeah, let's let's just watch an episode of Cheers. How I Met Your Mother reruns are on. We could <laughs> yeah. do this. You know? in the, well, in, in the future, it's like an ancient toe. Like, it's like one of the most respected, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. like the Tao of Ted. <laughs> we the, follow that's the, their religion. That's, that's Holloway's religion is Ted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you look closely at Holloway's cross, there's a little Barney on it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what was his? Wait for it or whatever. I don't know. I, I've I, never I, watched an episode of How I Met. I just know that Neil... Uh, We've had it. I watched it a lot when it was on the air, and we've actually had it on recently in our house. So, I mean, mm. no, no hating, no hating, no hating, no. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so they do it. Next morning comes along. They're gonna go out for more mission. They're gonna go track down the boys that they left out in the field. (laughs) They're scientists, fellas. (laughs) Yeah, they're two fail sudden scientists. uh, But Holloway has a case of the rumblies. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> there, yeah, the rumblies have reached his eyes. Yeah, <laughs> the rumblies have reached his eyes. <laughs> his eyes are bugging out of his head. They're like, I don't think he's feeling very well. No shit! Yeah. He looks terrible. He has worm eye. Yeah, he's got a worm in his damn eye. <laughs> you should also, if you see a worm in your eye, you tell someone. You just. Don't go to work yeah, like it's okay. Go to yeah. He's going to work like this character, man. Sucks. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no hate on Logan Marshall Green. I like him. Yeah, this character sucks. It's well, it's it's a tough role, and like to have this as like you're kind of like your first big. Um, it's hard. It's a hard. It's hard thing to. Yeah, I think it. Like, I think it did. I think the stink of how bad this character is. Hung mm-hmm. over has hung over Logan Marshall Green's career, despite oh, I think it has. Yeah, this is like the most the... known thing, and everyone remembers the, this asshole. Like, it's the Jai Courtney effect. We're like, yeah, yeah, I think a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, some guys, you know, we've talked about the Ryan Reynolds effect. They can mm-hmm. hang around for ten years trying to be forced down our throats until we all just kind of agree that they're a star. Mm-hmm. Look, get handed Ryan Reynolds. He seems to be like a billionaire. With all of his like investments and shit like that. Oh yeah, he's like Jay Z or something. I know he's like secretly like Jay Z, and he's like, "Wow, you're like, you've diversified in this businessy way that I don't personally understand at all. Like, yeah. I don't know how you own a soccer team. <laughs> like, oh you and God. Mac from Sunny in Philadelphia like own this soccer team. I don't get that. Maybe Logan Marshall Green owns a soccer team. For all we know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 
uh, they get back out there to these caves. They discover things have not gone well for Milburn and Fifefield. They're dead. Mm. Dead, in quotes. Mm. Um, but Paul is like dying in front of them. He's like clearly yeah. sick. He's like dog. melt starting to melt a bit. He's like, yeah, he's not doing and well. And so they're like, we got to get back. We got to quarantine him. We got to get him better. Mm-hmm. Shirley's throne makes a decision that probably should have been made. That I believe Ripley suggests in the first alien. Maybe we don't let John Hurt back on board the ship. Charlie's Throne is correct as Vickers that perhaps letting Holloway back on board the ship is a poor decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might not be a goodie. So, but they're like screaming at each other. She just storms out looking great and badass. Yeah. With a fucking flamethrower. It is. <laughs> well, it is such a funny, like, it is so crazy. We're like, it's one thing to be like, nah, you can't let him in. Yeah. It's another thing to be like. another thing to barbecue him like Rick Dalton. Kill him with fire. You know? <laughs> R.I.P. to a real one, Rick Dalton, by the way. Oh, yeah. Mm. Tragic. Makes you, th- makes you think. Nine. Yeah. Dies in 90. Good for him. Good, yeah. good life. Yeah. Um. So, uh, much to Shaw's chagrin. Vickers barbecues. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, is, he is toast. He is, he is jelly on this guy. He is He's toast. Jelly on this guy. He's toast. But inevitable. It, correct decision. David kind of watches like, hmm, oh, well. Yep. <laughs> that guy sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been fun to do some experiments Shaw, with that guy. But Shaw comes back on board and David is now her doctor. She's not feeling so hot. Oh, no. Well, it turns out... um. That she has been, she was impregnated by Holloway mm-hmm. the night before, and because Holloway is infected by an alien species, this pregnancy is moving at warp speed. And David is like, hmm, "It sucks for you." <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, sucks for you. <laughs> but I kind of want to see what happens. It's kind of his, his big, yeah, his, his big. Uh, see how this plays out Reaction. let's see how this plays out i'm curious about this but earlier in vicar's amazing suite we see that she has a surgery machine oh yeah leading to scene i, I think the greatest scene in this movie oh by far the, like the most memorable thing the grooviest idea they had in yeah, terms of a, a set piece Shaw is a mess. She's she's gonna give birth soon. She races in to this surgery machine, and basically, like, I think it's a um, appendectomy is what she because it's made for men. The mm-hmm. machine, which is also a clue toward mm-hmm. what's to come, I think, with who the secret passenger on the ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but she demands that. An appendectomy, but essentially what it is is to have a C-section to get the alien babe creature out of her. And what we get is a live futuristic C-section to pull an alien out of her chest. It's Mm -hmm. great. It's gross. It's awesome. Well, and I remember like in theaters, it was especially shocking too because you anticipate it's going to be like, you know, the classic aliens you know and love. But no, it's a weird like like octopus kind of alien, like, like Lovecraftian. Yeah, yeah, it's very just like octopus, like tentacles flailing. 
It's freaking out immediately. It's she's yeah. stuck in there. There's blood and sweat and goop flying. I was always very concerned though. So when the goop on the thing mm-hmm. comes out, it falls back into her wound. Ooh. Which, before she's sewn up. Mm-hmm. This was a concern for me. <laughs> and it remains a yeah. concern for me. So what does that goop do when it falls into an open wound? Oh, no. We've seen what goop does in these movies. Never never thought about it again. It's concerned on for eleven years. <laughs> it's a, yeah, they they kinda they kinda not, like, that it, I guess, not that it not that it really matters at well, all. I guess, I guess it's like if it's goop from you, it's okay. I don't know. It does play a part in my hypothetical alien third Prometheus Ooh. picture, which I will not talk about at all because I'm still holding out hope that Ridley will give me a call someday. Come He's on, not Ridley. gonna call me because I ripped into someone to watch over me. And mm. like I, I didn't I mean, like didn't like Hannibal. <laughs> like, I think he's gonna be like, <laughs> now that that chap ripped me. I got he's got a like he's got a grudge against me for that. But I have a really good idea that I'm not even gonna not even gonna share with the audience. I'll tell Patrick mm. off the air. Sorry, yes, <laughs> I want to hear this. Uh, anyway, all hell's breaking loose. Uh, Shaw is a. F- mess she's just had a c-section she's been mm-hmm. sewn up she did battle in a tube with an alien she got out though she's a total mess she strolls like days down the hall enters mm-hmm. vickers suite to discover david and vickers tending to the thousand year old pier wayland who has been on board this entire time what yeah, looking like Palpatine. Vickers is like, uh, Shaw passes out. Meanwhile, they get him reading that there's a knock at the door on the ship. Yeah, let's, let's see who that could be. Let's see. Oh, can't be anything bad. Is, is it Milburn or Fifefield? It's Fife. That's a, it's a Fifefield, right? Yeah, it's Fifefield. Yeah. Yeah, I was always confused on which one it was. Nah, it had that classic. He has that classic yeah. five-field beard. That uh, weird... He has become a... He's been infected. Yeah. He's he, supernaturally he's... strong. He's beating the shit out of all these red shirts. Idris and the guys have to go down and get into action themselves. to Because like, we're running out, of, running out of guys at this yep. point. We're losing, we're, losing, uh, we're losing people pretty quickly. At a pretty steady quickly. Clip. At a steady clip. They fight off Fifield, but all sorts of hell is broken loose. We got big problems. Meanwhile, we also discovered earlier as David has unlocked the engineers. He has found a living engineer. <laughs> We're going to find God. We're going to introduce Wayland to God. Yeah. Wayland's going to get that magic uh, God juice. It's going to make him all young again um, or something. We also discover Vickers is Wayland's daughter. Hmm. Very oh, we weird. also discover Wayland likes his son, David, more than he likes his daughter. God. And there is a sibling rivalry because I also learned that this has been suggested that Wayland used some of Vickers' DNA to create da- David. Mm. But David can't be his son, and he's kind of shit on too. Wayland is an asshole. He's a rich yeah. asshole, like you. Of course. He's about to drop dead, but he thinks he's going to get, like, learn the lesson of the universe and eternity and maybe be able to live forever. 
Yeah, he, think, he thinks he's going to get accepted by the engineer. He thinks he's going to get like a special hat, he th- too. Because and... he is a titan of industry, a god of industry, if you will. God, yeah, he thinks he can just like fucking equate like having, you know, the fucking Wayland. They probably started off like fucking Twitter or Facebook had a shitty app. But what we have discovered is that basically with this titan of industry, this jackass Elon Musk. Yeah. His very, very embittered Ice Queen daughter. The robot he created who has rapidly developed into thinking he is better mm-hmm. than all, all of humanity. Ooh, wonder, and wonder the what... scientist that he has hired who still firmly believes in the Christian God and wants to meet them. That perhaps none of this should have been done. And that I'm going after all of these things may unlock the ending of the human race. Hmm. 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 <laughs> so they all go visit with the engineer. Vicar stays yep. on board, but they all go off visit with the engineer. And oh, it should also be noted that Vickers just sleeps with Idris Elba in a very, very kind of funny sequence. Yeah. <laughs> like I like I like that their bitter reality, these two like mercenary characters. It's like you got nothing better to do. <laughs> nothing better to do. And so uh, they go visit with the engineer. It turns out, once David wakes up the engineer and tries to talk to him, that the engineer is not particularly thrilled to meet any of them. No. (laughs) Um, Kills Wayland's guys, kills Wayland, and tears David's head off. Oh, my God. He he tears off David's head and then beats Wayland with it. Yeah. It's good. That is... That, yeah, well, and the layers to that, like the the ultimate creator taking your creation, killing you with your own creation, mm-hmm. it's a lot yeah, to take in. A lot to take in. Shaw gets out, and what we discover is that the caves that they've been in, I love this too, mm-hmm. is actually the alien spacecraft. Yeah. And it begins to take off. <laughs> Shaw is screaming at Janik, Idris uh, Elba, like, you need to stay if these guys leave and come to Earth. We're dead. Yeah. It's over. We can't can't have any more goop on Earth. We can't. Yeah. Yeah. They cannot bring goop to Earth. So (laughs) Janik is like very casually and very him and the guys like, okay, cool. We'll we'll fly the Prometheus into the ship to stop it and we'll die. But, you know, Mm -hmm. we win. They're very cool about it. Yeah, they're very bored. There's not a lot of... um, contemplation there is like a part of me that's like i wonder like if uh it would have been a better choice for them to have like cowarded it out like you know to have like been like no i want to live i'd rather yeah yeah yeah, because you don't get like yeah i think that's like one thing that i wish this movie had a little more of is just like um the a little more definition to the characters beyond like i think one yeah. thing that alien does really well is they're very economical with their, i think part of it's like the casting too like harry dean stanton he doesn't need to say much to get his vibe you know what I, I mean? think too it's like what they're just they're just facing something unknown they're mm-hmm. the regular people facing something unknown mm-hmm. you know and they just get picked off it's like a horror movie you know? Oh, for sure. Well, and, this, well, and then yeah, and it's also kind of like a another you know weirdly optimistic that people would be that selfless, like an average Joe would be selfish, yeah. selfless enough to like you know sacrifice himself to save the world. Yeah, and so, but uh, Vickers is not so much like that. She gets into a skate pod. <laughs> no, she she's like, I got my little skate pod. I'm out of here. This mm-hmm. was stupid. 
Yeah, I heard. Yeah, this, was, this was stupid to begin with. I never wanted to be here in the first place. I just wanted to run my dad's company. You no, know, from Earth with my money. Unfortunately, though, it she just like shoots out and immediately crash lands. Mm-hmm. The the pot doesn't go well. She gets yeah. out. We get this great sequence where Elba runs the Prometheus into the spaceship big explosion the big alien craft starts coming down it's like a c shape or a u shape kind of is how this mm-hmm. their ship looks yeah lands like and then begins to like roll mm. and sean vickers have to like outrun it which so is very crazy. cool it's a, it's a good yeah uh shaw is able to dodge it but unfortunately for vickers she is smooshed by the yeah. aliens. Like, she like goes in a straight line. Goes in a straight line, does not try and dodge it whatsoever, and she is smooshed. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great smooshing moment. Her it is a like, good smooshing. No, no, no. Yeah. Like, it's seemingly like her trying to like, it kind of reminds me of like Paul Reiser's end, because in the sense of like, I feel like it's like, it's like these guys who are probably like, you know, these people who are like titans of industry get what it can talk themselves into getting whatever they want. And to yeah. have to like come face to face with the inevitable. Yeah, like they think that they, are, they are screwed. This because this movie, the big thing about this movie is hubris. Is like the mm. key thing to this movie is like the hubris of everyone involved. Yeah. So Shaw is down. She makes her way to Charlize's um, crashed ship. She thinks she can get off. She gets word from David, who's still alive, <laughs> with just his head. David's David's severed head. Yeah. Hey guys, uh, <laughs> put it put it next to Ted Williams in the, in the cryo, cryo. You ever hear that story about the no. Hall of Fame all time great baseball player? So Ted Williams dies at like eighty something mm-hmm. in the early two thousands. His kids are like huge believers in cryogenics and freezing for a later date when you could be resurrected, basically. Oh my god. So it came out like 10 years later that his kids had sent him to the cryogenics place. But apparently basically it's just your head. Oh it's frozen. No. It's like Ted Williams severed head. It's frozen somewhere in Arizona. <laughs> like do they think like Futurama's a documentary? He's just gonna be a little brain I've, in a jar. Yeah, I've been so obsessed with this idea. Like this Hall of Fame, like World War II era baseball player, like Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle era guy. His head is somewhere in Arizona right now. That's like, okay, hey, million dollar idea for a movie. Ocean's elevening that head. Gotta... Yeah. Hey, that's, we'll give that one away for free. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta find it. We gotta get a crew together to get this head and give it to the ultimate sports fan. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but they, engineers coming for Elizabeth. Yeah. In the same vein as the finale of the original Alien where Sigourney Weaver thinks she's safe. With the cat mm-hmm. on the escape pod, but there's actually an alien on board, and we have yeah. one more like big combat sequence. One, one thing I love about this alien is how it's never, um, it never once attempts to like communicate or like speak to like you. We just we, he's totally an opaque. We never understand his um, yeah. his modus operandi in yeah, any capacity because it's played by this like faceless bodybuilder. Yeah. It's like a very unique kind of creature, too, and completely different from the uh, you know classical xenomorph character. 
Shaw is able to escape, though, mm-hmm. and get out, um, get away from the creature. The creature's down. Mm-hmm. And she then finally discovers that David is somewhere out there and maybe we could do something about this. So yeah. she goes to get David's severed head and goes on further adventures. Cut to the end. Oh. At the and then though we discover mm-hmm. that some of the alien the alien I think she gave birth to mm-hmm. has grown is still out there and forms with the engineer. Ooh. Goop and all sorts of stuff happens. Chest yep, bursts. Slime. Guess what comes out? You guessed it, folks. The actual alien that we all remember and knew. This final in the final moments of this damn movie. Cut to black to be continued. Yep. Um with Aerosmith Sh- plays. Aerosmith yeah. plays. Yeah. Sean, <laughs> David Severed Head. Go off, and, go off into the in the in the distance. So the crew to this movie beyond Spates, Lindelof, and Scott. It was produced by Scott uh, with, of course, the Brandywine boys, David Geiler and Walter Hill. Mm-hmm. He'll, mm. he'll get in a piece. Walter Hill has lived off a piece of this movie for oh, man. a long what time. A, what a great pie to have your thumb in. I know. Like, for sure. And he, he gets a producer credit on like all of them. Despite, like, I don't know how, I, like, I, in all my reading on this, like, I did not see a huge, like, he was involved through the first four, but I don't know how involved he was in Prometheus or Covenant, like, mm. at on day to day level. Um, the cinematography is by Darius Wolski, um, edited by Pietro Scalia, two mm. classic Ridley Scott characters. Oh, yeah. Um, you know? In the story, and then music by Mark Streidenfeld and Patrick and I are both commenting. We really love this score. I yeah. it really like fits the vibe of the movie. I think Streidenfeld did a great job. Yeah, I think this. it's my favorite score of his so far. I, I would have liked to see actual nominations for uh, Wolski and Streidenfeld. Oh, in their for respective sure. Wol- categories. Wolski is an underrated cinematographer. Yeah, and like, I think this is. Has... I think this is really one of his finest hours. This is a gorgeous movie. Mm-hmm. Um. Did you know Ridley Scott originally wanted $250 million to make this movie? Wow. And uh, 20th Century Fox, though, got him down to somewhere between 120 and $130 million. But it's on the screen. It's a gorgeous yeah. movie. I think, you know, as we discussed, it still looks really, really great. Arthur Max mm-hmm. was a production designer who's been the production designer on all of Ridley Scott's movies, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, yeah, it's a really like it's just a handsome ass movie. Oh man, it's like yeah, it's well it's well shot. It's it's uh the the like the yeah, the sets are gorgeous, the locations they find are gorgeous. Um and yeah. it's like and it's like one of the few alien films that have ca- captured the solemnity of the first the first in the um the wonder, the awe and the, the... And the otherworldly nature. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, that sense that you're truly just like, um, you know, you're in over your head in a philosophical sense, in addition to like an action yeah. sense. And just like the Yeah. And Rid- Ridley's visuals uh, strengths are mm-hmm. all coming through in this picture. So this movie is, as we mentioned, like throughout production, throughout all the, like, the time, it was very mysterious. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, is it? It's called Prometheus. Uh, we should note for, you know. 
I looked I I reread it myself, but um the Prometheus myth from Greek mythology. Mm. We should discuss what that is. Yeah, getting, <laughs> um, your, getting your dang liver plucked it, out every so often. Yeah, it's um God, I had it here. I wanted to read it appropriately. Well, God, if I can remember out. from like if I got I haven't read uh Prometheus Bound in a long time, but uh it's like yeah, like Prometheus stole fire from the gods and the gods yes. punished him by like, you know, uh tying him up down and I can't remember if he's like in I think he's in Hades. And that yeah, and they just yeah, and they just have like yeah, there's like birds that like poke out his like eat his liver every like four hours or a day or something. So yeah, so um defies the gods, gives humanity with fire, which he is subjected to eternal punishment. Mm-hmm. And uh, that hangs over the entire movie. I think the movie is well titled mm-hmm. in trying to get its themes down. Um, but we did not know what the hell this movie was. And then as Patrick mentioned, the first like promotion for this movie was a TED talk with Peter Wayland about a futuristic vision. Yeah. Um, very cool idea. And then we started seeing ads for like Verizon with introducing the David eight uh, from yeah. the Wayland Yutani corporation, uh, perfect robot for all of your household needs. And it just got stranger and stranger from there. The preview comes out. Preview looks absolutely thrilling looks like, like oh, a yeah. sci-fi spectacle but is it an alien movie mm. we still are not sure ridley is being extraordinarily coy yep with the entire thing until june of 2012 in which this movie finally comes out and we all see it and we all see that it is an alien movie to an extent mm-hmm. um movie opens um they, what's going to open number one this June weekend? Is it going to be Prometheus or is it going to be Madagascar 3? Europe's Most Wanted. Oh, that movie, uh, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, co-written by uh, Noah Bombeck. I believe so, yeah. Speaking, <laughs> of, insane... like, speaking of helping to pay for your Brooklyn uh, Park Slope uh, townhouse. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, you know. Gotta, hey, the whale doesn't make itself. No, get that paper, Noah. Uh, <laughs> it ended up like barely beating uh it's like madagascar i believe (laughs) or it was like right there and this was also kind of signs like this marketing that patrick and i thought was really groovy Mm -hmm. is difficult for people who just want to know is it an alien movie or not i think here's my i think like it's a great marketing for something that is not connected to ip yeah. But because it's in, connected to the IP, like, yeah, immediately all of our emotions are tied to said IP, or mm-hmm. the moviegoers' emotions are tied to said IP. So they don't want to be jacked with. They just want to know if there's, like, a big old alien that's going to blow up or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's a back and forth with that. Like, it was an interesting campaign, but maybe it was a little too heady, and maybe this entire movie was a little too heady. Yeah. Attempting which... to be a little too heady, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, made about 50, 55 million mm-hmm. in its opening weekend. It, uh, you know, it's a pretty good opening for Ridley Scott, pretty good in general, but for the kind of hype, at least among certain people, the hype, Mm. you know, this is a little like, I think there's, the internet can get you in your head about how many people are talking about something. Mm. This happens often. 
Like, remember, like, a couple of other examples, like Zack Snyder's Watchmen. Everyone knows about this. It's going to be the biggest deal ever. And it's like, yeah, not really. Not really. Or even bigger, like, I remember, like, when people were surprised that Scott Pilgrim versus the world bombed. Well, yeah. What the hell is this? Like, it's a, yeah, it was a it was a, a niche property. Edgar Wright is a niche director. Yes, at this point exactly. in his career. Like, yeah. you know, and it gets you in your head like more people know what this is. You mm-hmm. like it sells itself these kind of deals. And like I think even like I think we talked about it last year with the Fablements. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! It's like about Spielberg. It's about his childhood. Of course, everybody. Well, it turns out, like for the average movie-going public, wasn't particularly interested in that. But like, film Twitter was obsessed with it. Like, oh, it's gonna be huge! It's like, uh, like our greatest filmmaker finally tell, like turning the camera on himself. Like, fable, fable mania it should sweep the nation. Yeah, it turns out, yeah, it, it didn't. And I think that there's elements that now Prometheus ended up uh, making uh, something. Uh, pardon me, I'm getting to it. Uh, Four hundred million at the box office, mm-hmm. which is tidy. Yeah, not bad. Uh, not bad. Uh, certainly led to wanting, you know, more, which we'll talk mm-hmm. about in the future with uh, Covenant, which is definitely on the schedule. Uh, coming soon here. But in general, I think people were left, and I was talking about it, you know, at the beginning of the episode, you know, the water cooler conversation the weekend after. A little perplexed by this movie. Mm. I think it, like, I think at the end of the day, like, it has these really ambitious, bold ideas that make it rewatchable, make me want to see it again, make me appreciate it. But they don't really, like, satisfactorily yeah. Like hit hit him. It's yeah. It's like sometimes it's like a little too on the nose. Sometimes it's like a little too um, uh, opaque. It's like the yeah. opposite. It's a tough. It's like a very. And then when they provide answers and they do like the action sequences, the action's good, but the characters to get there do stupid things that are out yeah. of character. Mm-hmm. Like the characters become tools to get to the things you want to see. Unfortunately. Yeah, and so which makes it like an, a very, very fascinating, flawed movie. Mm-hmm. I guess would be my final assessment. Yeah, I, it's so funny. Like, I actually came out of this watch of this movie, like, liking it more than I had previously yeah. because I think that, like, yeah, like, Numi, I think Numi Rapace is, like, very good. It bugs I, me actually never got to, like, do I more stuff. There are, like, the, the highs of this movie are so high and so enjoyable that they make the lows kind of like you can forgive them yeah a bit more and yeah and i think like like my my least favorite you know when i first saw it i was pretty hard on it Mm. and then i like i think my brother gave it to me for christmas on Mm blu-ray that year and i was like oh you know i kind of like this but then i've continuously like i think i watched it i think i've seen it five, six, seven times in the preceding decade. Mm-hmm. And I like it every time. I enjoy this yeah. movie. Like, and I gotta say, the big thing for me is Fastbender is David. Makes it continuously, he... like, continuously rewatchable for me. And well, and the fact that, like, yeah, his character is so, raises so many questions and you really, truly don't know 
where he stands and you know if he just stands for himself mm-hmm. what are the implications of that what does that mean and i think the evolution of what where we discover an alien covenant mm. with this portion of the story makes it even more interesting yeah because man yeah if you thought that uh fast bender deserved an oscar yeah, for I know. prometheus like, covenant, like, covenant yeah, yeah like, he's yeah. juggling so many balls it's pretty yeah. it's good it's so fascinating and it makes up for the holes or weird decisions or mm-hmm. some of the poorer aspects uh this has a 73 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. The uh, consensus is really Scott's ambitious quasi prequel to Alien may not answer all of its big questions, but it's redeemed by its haunting visual grandeur and compelling performances, particularly Michael Fassbender as a fastidious android. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, honest. Uh, the visual effects and design is brilliant, and Fassbender's performance is like one of the greats in sci fi yeah. history. It's the draw of the film, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. And so, and I think critics like Ebert gave it four stars, mm-hmm. by the way. He labeled it a seamless blend of story, special effects, pitch perfect casting, filmed insane, effective 3D that doesn't distract. Hmm. He continued by saying Rapace's performance continues here the tradition of awesome feminine strength begun by Sigourney Weaver and Alien. Um, he went on to name it one of his best films of 2012. Wow. And I think like Ebert, especially because this was around the time where he was getting sicker. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always fascinating to read Ebert's take on movies about God or the afterlife or what it all means mm. in this time period and what struck him and what didn't. Right. Like he was a big uh, Tree of Life fan. He was a big Senecity New York fan. Yeah, I think like the last movie he reviewed was like To the Wonder, right? And that was mm-hmm. like a, you know, he gave that a glowing yeah, you know, he yeah. hated, and I can't wait to talk about this because I really want to get into it. He hated the curious case of Benjamin Button. Ooh, um, and that's interesting. an interesting, yeah. And it's like this is like a key thing for filmmakers is this like question of the big themes, and with curious case of Benjamin Button, in a very typically David Fincherian way, to me he's stating it's meaningless. Yeah. I think it's like, yeah, and I think it's we'll, the we'll talk the about that when, 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 yeah, when like, we rewatch this movie. Uh, but I think like, obviously Terrence Malick is on a different Terrence Malick is a believer in the Christian oh, God. For and, sure. And like, he's a Christian and it's in his movies. Mm-hmm. And when you're facing tough times, tough illness, mm-hmm perhaps the end i i personally would find great comfort in a movie like tree of life yeah i but at the same time i think that like i admire fincher's fatalism yeah and because there's a beauty because like the way benjamin button ends with like this is just how things are Mm -hmm. we come and go time continues to roll by and just kind of maybe like these smaller things, these little quirks about people are really all we have. Maybe that's if we should accept that. Yeah, maybe make the most of what you've, yeah, it's the journey. It's a movie about acceptance, if you ask me. It's not about wonder. Mm-hmm. And I... Well, uh, yeah, well, the, the, keep in mind, like, the backdrop of, like, uh, 
like Hurricane Katrina too. Yes. Like, yeah, that's occurring while all this is, you know, happening. And in I that will film. actually say I think Benjamin Button, Tree of Life, and Synecdoche, New York are all much more successful than Prometheus in getting down to these big themes. Yeah, exactly. But it is it's... what it is. I think it's a good I think it's a noble effort. It makes you th- <laughs> makes you think. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a provocative, interesting movie. With some real high mm-hmm. points that I think if you haven't rewatched it recently, folks, mm-hmm. it's a worthwhile rewatch, despite the fact it doesn't get all the way there. Like A.O. Scott said, um, it, I, I like this. I like A.O. Scott. I think he's a yeah. smart guy. Uh, he criticized the story's weak and argued the narrative twists and reversals undermined its lofty, mind blowing potential. Mm. he says the film has no actual revelations and it's just bits of momentarily surprising information bereft of meaning or resonance it's a harder side of it but i think that there are some valid arguments and criticisms in that yeah i mean it is like yeah i feel like um i could see a lot of people tapping out from this movie at the moment where Wayland with like, you know, he has a huge bruise on his face because he just got like his head caved in by the engineer and he goes, mm. so there's just nothing. And then he just, and he just immediately dies. I can see that. Yeah. Rubbing people the wrong way. Um, really, really solid younger critic, Nick Pinkerton um, wrote the film is prone to shallow ponderousness and that Scott can still mimic the appearance of an epic noble important movie but the appearance is all oh man that's really cutting it's really really cutting he did say the body horse set pieces though were pretty badass and yeah work, which, and they are which they yeah. are and I, like, I will give scott the benefit of the doubt in my opinion like i think that like like the stuff um that he try is at least attempting to mine is interesting and there's some depth to it i don't think yeah. it's necessarily just like a total like shallow like I don't yeah. think it's totally like I think that that's being a little hard on it. Like, yeah, I agree with you. I think it doesn't get all the way there, though. No, so. it's not fully formed. That's the problem. Yeah. And it's and, just a, and it's a little um, like didactic. It's like a little like yeah, they kind of like spell everything out. They, they have this. There's like this this need to like spell everything out. And that, that's a problem, which is modern cinema in general. People yeah. can't just let shit breathe and let the the. Um, the visuals speak for themselves and the tone speak for well, itself. I think that that's why we were talking about Patrick and I uh, saw it when saw Sorcerer the other night. And I think that was like one of the glories of Sorcerer is like freaking lets the visuals yeah, do it for us. We don't need dialogue. We don't need to. This is how I feel because I'm here. Like that was like the glory of Sorcerer. The second they go into like who I am and my dialogue, it's, leads to disaster yeah that is like the equivalent of like yeah like it's it's like you know that guy's days are numbered when he starts saying you know one aspect of his past do you have have kids okay you're done you're dead you know explosion yeah explosion and so like and i think like yeah right there is like that and i think that one of the reason critics like scott and pinkerton were hard on this is that the elements are there Mm -hmm. to make a pretty extraordinary sci-fi movie that it goes for the big questions, which is what the best sci-fi, you know, first and foremost with 2001, a space odyssey does. Yes. Is they're like honestly seeking for 
you know, to to be a Prometheus and like get get close to the gods and yeah, explain some stuff. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> uh, maybe this movie should have been called Icarus instead of Prometheus. Yeah, hmm. yeah, a good call. Good close call to the there. Sun. Uh, it was nominated for one Academy Award Best Visual Effects, did not win. Mm. Uh, and to close it out, James Cameron's thoughts on Prometheus. Oh my gosh, that's a surprise. I want to hear this. Yeah, um, I enjoyed Prometheus. I thought it was great. I thought it was Ridley returning to science fiction with gusto, with great tactile performances, beautiful photography, and great native 3D. There might have been a few things I would have done differently, but that's not the point. You could say that about any movie. He did say, though, he didn't think it totally added up logically. Aww. Very politic about a yeah. friend and a fellow titan of cinema. Mm-hmm. But I, hey! I, yeah. I agree. I think James Cameron would have let this marinate a little bit more to mm-hmm. figure out. If anything, there is no ambiguity in where James Cameron's approach to anything. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. this is a man who does not leave any stone unturned. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no. It, for better not or a... worse, this is yeah. who he is. Different kind of filmmaker. Different kind of filmmaker. Uh a noble movie though, in general. Yeah. With some very nice high points. Some I, questionable I wish... moments that will always be questionable. But... Yeah. Oh, for sure. I wish there were more like big budget films like this like i think yeah. that they at least try to like like mine deeper you know they try to ponder deeper things that a lot of films of this budget of this like caliber of like budget is like well they're quite honestly afraid to because you know they yeah. have to appeal to as many people as possible or and i mean whatever. i think you know it's working in the same realm that cameron works in it's working in the same well christopher nolan works in mm-hmm. of going for these bigger swings within this yeah. sci-fi it isn't the same old, same old. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen it before. We, you know, we haven't necessarily seen this before. This is a weird movie, in a good way. A, yeah. Uh, yeah. If if you're like, if you think Prometheus like totally fucking adds up, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just a, a Swiss a Swiss watch of a film. You know, it's like, man, this is like sharp old school Hollywood pure storytelling. This, uh, this, this Fifeld character, he is it, with a lot of depth and texture. His uh, character logic is spot on. Sound. And it, tell us why. At, yeah. uh, email us about it at the Academy Academy Podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at the Academy. Uh Check us out on Letterboxd. We are up. We are much more busy on Letterboxd in our individual accounts than we are anywhere else. Um, You can find me under my name, Don Saunderson. Mm -hmm. I think Patrick, you're in the same boat. It's under your, your very own, your very own name. Patrick Patrick Simon Gremion. Yeah. Uh, You could find us on there. We're reviewing pictures all the time. Um, Oh yeah. Sort of. Patrick, Patrick is more selective than I am. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I kind of like. I don't. I for some reason I don't like uh, including the movies we do for this podcast on it. But uh, no, I should. I, and I always do. You can find out uh, how far in advance of every recording I've watched this. <laughs> watch this movie. Sometimes it's the morning up. <laughs> sometimes with Prometheus, it's, it's like a week before, mm. um, which it was for me. Um, next week on the show, we have a huge episode. It's going to be a 
sad, good, long one. Mm. Uh, we'll be covering 2010's Unstoppable mm. from Tony Scott. This, of course, is Tony's final film. So we'll be covering, you know, if, if it's something that bothers you in advance, uh, this is a know about it in advance. We'll be covering his end. Yeah, it's a tough and talking yeah, you about know. some of that stuff. And it's heavy stuff. And it's very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll also, though, be having a little bit of fun. We'll be doing a Tony Scott countdown. A, li- a little bit of a list episode, too, with uh, Scott ranking Scott rank our favorite Scots in order. Uh, all of his movies. This is, but this is the uh, final Tony Scott episode. But need not worry, the show goes on. Mm-hmm. Ridley, Ridley has many more movies. Hell yeah! Uh, our our friends Antoine Fuqua, David Fincher, Michael Bay, and Jerry Bruckheimer have more movies. <laughs> so <laughs> the song never stops singing, this, folks. Yeah, this this world continues. Unfortunately, though, this is the end of the line for our Tony Scott story. Uh, we wish we, we truly wish it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, but we'll be covering Unstoppable, which is currently on Hulu, mm-hmm. as well as can be rented through all the services. It's also on Blu-ray. Um, the week after that, uh, we kind of continuing with the heavy storytelling front. Um, t- with 2013's The Counselor, uh, which I've referred to a lot. We we talk about Cormac McCarthy. A mm-hmm. lot on the show. Yeah, uh, I almost started reading Blood Meridian again. That was really close, which had been like my third time in two years, which is, been, I think, unhealthy. We've been uh, <laughs> toying with the idea of a one-off Cormac McCarthy just centered episode, which doesn't have much to do with anything, but other than yeah. our personal interests. But what is this <laughs> show at this point anyway? Uh, with the counselor can be rented on all the services. It was on HBO Max fairly recently, and actually, I think a lot of people were discovering it on oh. HBO Max, which is good for them. I hope they enjoyed it. I hope, well, I don't know if enjoy <laughs> the right word. I think that, I hope that they were compelled and provoked by it. Because uh, mm-hmm. Counselor is a heavy movie. Uh, but it can currently be rented on all the services. It is on Blu-ray. We will be watching, I'm going to make Patrick watch the direct, <laughs> the extended director's cut. Yes. I, think it's a, I personally, having seen this movie, quite a few times i saw the theater too i'm one of the few who made it out opening weekend to see this in the theater um but i think the director's cut is superior mm-hmm. um, and we'll be checking that out um maybe together we've we've dabbled with the I, idea of I, actually getting together and watching it at my place <laughs> i do kind of want to see and i want to like yeah i want to figure out what's up with Har- harvier bardem's haircut in this movie mm. he has a, he sports a wild do there's there's a lot of big swings in this picture i read patrick some of the script before we started out loud i i it piqued my interest i'm i'm kind of on board i'm getting i'm he's he's counselor pilling me folks. it's um it's it is uh it is quite a uh quite a picture like it's uh yeah it really just um given a choice between watching someone walk away down the street and watching someone being slowly decapitated by a device apparently engineered and patented in the halls of hell, you're going to watch the latter. That's just the way it is. You may think you should avert your gaze, but you won't. Oh, boy. There's a little tease for two weeks now. <laughs> Cormac McCarthy, man. Oh, he's the best. <laughs> uh, he rules. Oh, man. Would not want to be in his head at all, ever, but 
His books are great. Yeah, a, a true visionary of darkness. <laughs> like, yeah, just, just under yeah. understands evil at a yeah um, pretty profound and the folly of man at a pretty profound level. Yeah. But uh, this was a fun one. I'm happy we got to revisit Prometheus. This is not the end, of course, mm-hmm. to our discussions of the alien films. Uh, but it is for this week. So for Patrick, I'm Don. We will see you next week on the Academy Academy. Awesome. Good. Uh, oh, well done. Uh, look at this. Like, do you notice like right next to me? There's like this weird um, just little snake thing. I just Whoa, dude, out check this... it out. Check it out. Let's I'm check gonna, it out. Gonna, Whoa, touch I'm, it. I'm, I'm going to give it a hug. It. I'm going to give yeah, it a snooch. <laughs> yeah, I think I want to take it home and introduce it to my baby child as a pet. <laughs> <laughs>